I'll give you a case that was interesting. It was a homicide case, and I'll keep you generic, but person was uh, accused of a homicide. And I went through that person's phone and I found photos of this person that were selfies with geo coordinates in another city. So basically we were able to prove this person was in another city, but he was not with his wife. So he had erased all the photos mm -hmm. and there were landmarks in the background of GPS. The murder charges were dropped, but he was still a dead man walking mm -hmm. because he was out with his wife and he was taking photos. So it actually saved him in some ways and probably hurt him in others. Hey there, welcome to Thriving with Technology, the science-led podcast that's here to help you achieve mindful living in a digital world. And I'm your host, I'm August Bryce from techwellness.com. This show is designed to give you a practical approach on how to navigate the important tech toxins in our world. We have real-life stories, experiences, and non-fear-based facts about cybersecurity and EMFs, your online privacy, internet overuse, what leads to addiction, blue light, oh, and so much more. So thank you. Thanks for joining us and enjoy the show. Welcome to Thriving with Technology. This is the podcast from Tech Wellness. Now, you might know our mission is to help you achieve mindful living in a digital world. We want you to know what's going on out in the world of tech so that you can make good choices. We really do. Protecting your privacy online is a really big component of it. Now, I know some people would argue, and I'm included in that group, that there's just no such thing as online privacy, that even if there's just the presence of some digital technology, our privacy probably isn't going to be kept to ourselves, that in some way somebody's going to be listening or finding out what we're writing, texting, or saying. Today, we're going to get some answers. We have an amazing guest with us, a worldwide expert in digital forensics. Now, Brian Neumeister leads a company called USA Forensic. It's based in Phoenix, and it's built an international reputation for being able to find and clarify any kind of digital evidence that a person might leave. Brian and his team work for law enforcement, they work for the justice system, and they come in situations where data needs to be retrieved for any number of reasons from computers, cell phones, cell towers, video, and audio recordings. So as it happens, I've known Brian for a long time. I met his incredible dad when I was interning at NBC. And you know what? It has been fascinating to watch Brian's career. So Brian, welcome to the Tech Wellness Podcast. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so excited. I want to talk about this. I want to talk about how you got into this just to start. I don't think anybody plans to get into this. I, back in the 70s, had a music scholarship at Cal State and I became a news reporter at a small TV station after I graduated in Palm Springs. It was one of those situations where you did everything from report to change the oil in the news cars. I uh, was terrible on camera, so I realized it would be better suited for me to work with cameras on the photography side. I went from there to Reno and then to KPNX in Phoenix. KPNX gave me a foundation in working with tech because when I first came there, I worked an overnight shift and I used to go down and work with the switchers and pretty much anything. And then the engineers would come and fix what I did in the morning, basically. Later on, I got involved with helicopter live photography and that involved use of microwaves and, and stuff that I was really getting into. I started getting into the tech end of it. So I spent about a decade in helicopters doing all sorts of innovative things, working with law enforcement, working with TV stations. Again, at that time, I was also 
in my spare time was spent making music and it did pretty well. I did music for a lot of commercials, a lot of video games, that kind of stuff. And finally left the helicopter career to pursue that. And basically music at that time was all computers. I had probably 40, almost 50 keyboards. They were all computer controlled. This is in the 90s. So in order to be able to understand how to better utilize those primitive computers, we would tear them apart and rebuild them. Mm. And I was tell audio engineering classes now, the graduating classes. And the best way to learn about something is to do it yourself, learn by failing. Yeah, that's the only way to get ahead. The thing is about digital audio, video, cell phone, forensics, it's all binary data. Mm-hmm. And once you know the basics, you have to do research. I'd say we average two hours a day of actual research. Uh, like we say, that software you're using is so two o'clock. Yeah, it's constantly changing. You just have to stay on top of it. Yeah, for example, right now we're talking on a new version of iOS 11.4. There's always something new you have to be able to figure out how to get in and get around. We not only work for law enforcement, of course, we work for a lot of private attorneys, insurance companies, store chains, airlines, you name it, banks, law firms. Our object is to retrieve data, figure it out, decrypt it, find out where it's been. See if it's been modified, which we see more and more of these days is people altering data and not knowing how to get away with it. For example, cases with document fraud. You're doing a case that's a very high profile case where documents may have been forged. It's fairly easy to tell by going through the computer's registry what was done when and requesting access to the original data files as opposed to copies. Uh We use what's called hexadecimal editors to understand how the process works, but it's amazing what people try to pull off with Photoshop and stuff, not realizing that the digital fingerprint is all in the metadata. Everything's trackable is what you're saying. So they try to use Photoshop, they try to change something, but you can see the changes. Yes. We've had cases from all over. We have requests on our website, which basically asked legally for specific types of data. Chain of custody is very important in what we do. You can't judge if the Mona Lisa is real by looking at a Polaroid of the painting. You have to see the painting. So we're always asking for the original content. You can't take somebody's word for it. If there's a cell phone that comes into a situation, we'll want to do a forensic image of it ourselves and then work with that. We get requests a lot for almost anything you could think of, clarifying surveillance, which we can do an amazing job of. But really, because of my background in video, I was always interested in audio and video clarification. Getting a voice out of an airport crowd would be another thing we're asked to do. I saw an example of this on your site. It's so cool. It's interesting. Yeah. People don't realize there's there's no one panacea, no one program. Probably in audio, I've probably got 400 different programs of different specific things. Right now, I'm working with uh, some other folks on voice recognition software for cell phone use. And it's a, there's 70 PhDs involved in this project, involved in the various different things. For example, the way I'm talking, the type of enunciation, my nasal cavities, how that carries over cell phone, the pattern of my speech, the accents, all that has to be figured into a binary code that can basically create an algorithm that may at least limit. It's never going to be 100% accurate, but it's going to limit your database. If you've got 15 suspects, it may limit it down to two. And then you go into the manual forensics of sorting out every vowel and every consonant with a uh, linguist. Oh, Brian, is there anything that you can't discover? Yes. There's some very basic things. For example, on a cell phone, people will think that they can erase data. 
by deleting their text or whatever. That, that has no effect on recovering the data whatsoever. However, if somebody resets the phone to factory new, it does destroy the data. That, for example, would happen if somebody completely reset it for sale. Mm -hmm. For example, if you're going to give your iPhone to somebody. However, people always forget that their backups are in the iCloud. And most apps by default back up to an iCloud or to their whatever their phone system is. And the reason that is, it's a very simple reason, everything is based on economics. When you first get an iPhone, for example, there you get a five gig free iCloud account. Five gigs is nothing these days. As soon as you fill it up, you pay for more. Yeah, 99 cents for 50 gigs. Oh, that's yeah, nothing. Right. That's fine. Right. Here we go. Yeah. And then you fill that up and, oh, another 99 cents and you got a terabyte or whatever. All that stuff that remains up there is very helpful and people don't know how to particularly edit or erase that very well. So we do a lot of our stuff by decrypting and getting into cloud accounts. Sometimes it requires a warrant. Sometimes it just requires permission. You said something that just really haunted me. When uh, we were first talking about Tech Wellness website, you said you, you'd be interested in this. You said the cell phone is the cesspool of the soul. Yes, absolutely. People do things on a cell phone that they never would. Uh, for example, in drug cartel situations, they will snap a photo of a body oh. and they'll quickly send it to prove they killed the person or they'll quickly send it to somebody and delete. First of all, they've taken a photo and deleted, which can be easily recovered. Second of all, you can trace by GPS where that photo was taken. And third, you can see who it was sent to. So it's basically like, here's where I did this and here's where I'm sending it. Very often, we create a map based on how many Wi-Fi pings there are. If you want to see where somebody's been in the past week or so or whatever, you look at their Wi-Fi patterns. People don't know this, but when you're downloading those apps that are free, mm -hmm. they're not free. They're collecting information on your shopping activities, your driving activities, the stores you visit. That data is sold to marketing companies that, again, and sell that to specific needs. For example, if you go into Starbucks a lot, you might start getting a lot of ads for coffee at Starbucks coupons to keep you coming in. If you're driving on the freeway, then it might alert you to the nearest Starbucks while you're on Google. So it's a fascinating interweb of marketing and communications that is also really helpful for forensic experts to track where these pings happen. And as you're talking about that, just the, I'm back where you're talking about the apps being on. What if I disable the app after I download it and only enable it when I need That's it? That's a good idea. Does that offer any protection? I get the little bit. Yes, it's decent protection. Some of these things that are supposedly off really aren't off. When you turn off your Wi-Fi and your on the new iOS, if you turn off your Wi-Fi and your Bluetooth, it will restart in the morning. You can shut it off to certain devices and stuff, but in the morning when you turn on your phone again, it's going to automatically kick back on. Wait. Yes. So I turn off on my phone. You're talking about on the phone. Yes. I turn, I disable Wi-Fi. If you, for example, if you flip up on the bottom of an iPhone, you'll see the icons for Wi-Fi. Right. Bluetooth. Go to the control center, turn it off. Yeah, turn those off and then see what happens in the morning. And after a 24-hour period passes, they'll be back on. Anything I can do to override that? Yes, uh, you can shut it off manually in the control center. But the one that works on your slide-up panel is a little different. And those are main, mainly made for turning it off in an airport or something like that. And if you forget, they basically reset in the morning. You want to keep an eye on your data. Again, there's no real panacea. These things are a screen door to submarine to cell phones and computers these days, because what's the most valuable thing is data. Data o' plenty on a cell phone. People do things on a cell phone they wouldn't normally do any in any other medium. It's pretty amazing what you find on 
people's cell phones. Like you said, we call this, the cell phone is the dumpster of the human soul. It's crazy. It makes sense because for so many, it's just part of their being. We encourage a daily unplugging so people keep perspective that the phone is just a machine and it's not the boss of me. But I think they feel like their phone is them. And like you said, it's the cesspool of the soul because we've become one with our phones. It's super, super disturbing and scary. But I'm talking right now to the people who have that perspective and want to use technology because it's fun. It's great. It makes life easy. But we want to do it as safely as possible. So you were talking a little bit before about the specifics of turning apps on and off. What about location services? If they're turned off and the phone is in airplane mode, can you still find out where someone was? If everything was turned off from the actual control panel as opposed to on the front of the phone, if everything was shut down, yeah, you still can if you know what you're doing. But sometimes that involves apps that aren't really accessible to the public. If you really want to be safe, you could power off your phone. That's even at some point very rarely questionable. But the best thing is a Faraday bag, which is uh, a bag that blocks incoming right. uh, electronics. Uh, we use those for all cell phones that come in to be examined. It's basically a simple copper bag as copper bags block the frequencies. We have one on the site that I actually, that Hal uses, my husband uses, I use it as well. Absolutely. But, and something that I became curious of the other day, I turned on my phone, I recorded video and audio, and then I stuck the phone in the bag and it stayed on. Yes. So it was off. We had no cell service. It was just me playing with the camera, basically. And it could hear everything that we said. So are there apps or some malware or something out there that can actually access my microphone and my camera with my phone off? Yes, but they have to be put on the phone before you turned it off. Actually, it really requires access to somebody's phone to set that up. You're not going to download that as a malware unless you're getting it from a real high-end agency. For the most part, somebody needs to physically access your phone. That made me feel so good. Sense of relief. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's another way to, a very simple way, actually. People don't realize this. If you go to your battery settings, it says what apps are using your battery. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter what's put on there. If you've got some kind of recording app that's on there, some kind of child minder or something like that is voice activated, it will say that it was activated and how much battery it used. So the iPhone, without really meaning to, tips the way the phone's being used. If you notice that your phone's abnormally warm, even though you're not using it, possibility you have a, a bit of spyware on there. It's rare, but I will tell you this. We do get called out quite often to what's called sweep a room, which is check for bugs and that kind of stuff. That's old technology. It's pretty rare. I've got a key, one case right now where they're sending me a stuffed animal that had one in it. But for the most part, it's all done through cell phones and computers with what's called key loggers, which basically don't monitor your voice. They monitor what you type. I can tell you all kinds of horror stories about what can be done. But for the most part, this is not going to affect the average person. Except on a PC, a keylogger is fairly easy to get. And there's some free programs that get rid of that stuff very well. Oh, good. I'll put them on the site. I hear this statement all the time, especially from the generation that has grown up with this technology. They say, I don't care. I have nothing to hide. What do you say to them? I tell you this, any credit card number you've ever put in your phone, 
any bank password, anything you've ever put in your phone, I've got, if I have your phone, it doesn't go away. I'll find the password to every account you have on your phone. When we get phones in on a criminal investigation, we're only limited by, for example, what a warrant says we can go after. We'll have all their passwords and all their tokens and stuff like that to every Snapchat account. It's another thing too. Snapchat, kids use it. They think it goes away. It doesn't. It doesn't. Where does it go? Where so, does it go? Snapchat stuff stays on the phone too. Any kind of photo that you might have sent, any kind of recording or whatever you sent is going to be on the phone. Still, it visually disappears. But again, what, for example, when you're deleting a file on a computer, you're not deleting the file, you're deleting the link to the file. Now, eventually it'll get written over as more and more data comes out of the computer, but today's cell phones where you have a lot of maybe 256 gigs, you're not going to see stuff overwritten very quickly. Here's another thing people don't realize. You'll get a case where somebody says, this was not the iPhone I had during that time or the phone. I'm like, did you have the same phone number and provider? Yes. Every time you make a transfer from one iPhone to the next iPhone, all that old stuff goes with it. So I might have a 2018 cell phone and I'm looking for 2013 data that was recorded from four iPhones ago and I'll find it on that same iPhone on the new one. It sticks with you. The interesting thing about that is, though, that I can't get that information on my own phone. No. <laughs> Why is that? It's a forensic process, basically. And there are various forensic programs like Cellbrite and Oxygen, which are what we call push-button forensics, that are pretty good at, at doing the basics. But very often, you have to get into writing code to get around key locks, to get around locked phones and stuff. You basically need to parse the what's called unallocated space on a phone, it's all going to be marked as deleted. But forensically, that stuff's recoverable and sometimes very valuable. Sure. I'll give you a case that was interesting. It was a homicide case, and I'll keep it generic, but person was uh, accused of a homicide. And I went through that person's phone, and I found photos of this person that were selfies with geo-coordinates in another city. So basically, we were able to prove this person was in another city, but he was not with his wife, so he had erased all the photos. Mm -hmm. And there were landmarks in the background of GPS. The murder charges were dropped, but he was still a dead man walking mm -hmm. because he was not with his wife and he was taking photos. So it actually saved him in some ways and probably hurt him in others. Yeah, you have that interesting illustration on your site, usaforensic.com, that shows an incredible amount of information that you can get from one single digital photo. It is amazing. I do have a case right now where data was photoshopped. A lot of cases uh, where data has been photoshopped. They don't realize that they can try to strip the metadata, but you can always figure it out. I had a case the other day where I showed a picture uh, and I had it run by another forensic team and they said, okay, that picture was shot in 2007 in another state. And I'm being really generic, but right. I said, no, I actually shot it here two weeks ago. I just spoofed the metadata. And they're like, what? And I'm like, you can spoof metadata if you know how to do it. Now, not a lot of people. Well, is there a way to turn it off? Like, can I turn off the metadata on my phone? You could turn off certain things, but you can't turn off. You could turn off your GPS, for example, on the photos, but you can't. No, I mean, oh, okay. Okay. Location services. Yeah. You can't turn off your dates created. You can't turn off that sort of stuff. So when you export it, a lot of the metadata that you see on those many pages goes with it. The geolocators can be turned off, but depending on what photo app, you may not be using the regular photo app. You might have a Wi-Fi thing if you're using Camera Plus or something like that on an iPhone that gives a Wi-Fi ping when you took a photo. You might have your Bluetooth on at the signal you know, with your earpiece on that could give us data. There's all kinds of ways to track down this stuff. If somebody really wants to know. So basically, if I want my business to stay my business, I shouldn't do it on my phone. 
There are some apps like Signal Audio, which Congress now uses. It's called Signal. It's a free app to download. I recommend everybody have it. You can communicate securely, and that means you can't be interrupted by what's called a stingray or a, a device that is made to capture calls. Problem with the stingray is they cost about $300,000 and you need to warrant to use them to intercept calls. It acts like a false tower. Mm-hmm. But you can build one yourself for around $1,300. Certain kinds of media outlets, tabloids, buy those things to intercept phone calls or build them. Your privacy, again, is best to have a secure phone-to-phone encryption. When you use Signal, it gives you a, not only an encrypted path-to-path signal, but it also gives you passwords. If you both don't have the same passwords, that means there's a third party intercepting the call. Mm-hmm. It's a very good app and it's free. Like I say, Congress was just uh, told to put it on their phones and I think everybody should be using it. Thank you for that because my husband, Hal, actually uh, downloaded that and asked me to download it and I was afraid of it because how do you know what's safe? Do I have to call you every time and ask? And we'll be right back. You know, these days, parents are dealing with something that you and I never had to deal with as parents, and that is social media. It's bad enough to have a smartphone, and then you load it up with social media accounts, and then, oh my gosh. I mean, the responsibility of helping your kid and guiding your kid through that process is a big one. It's one of the biggest ones parents have to deal with these days. Exactly, and that's why the Surgeon General says he wants to move up the age when kids are allowed to get a social media account from 13 to older. Yeah. He thinks that 13 may be too young based on the research that he's seeing. And I think there's a lot of parents who would agree. You recently had a video on tech wellness that I thought was just amazing. On a school bus full of kids, the only child who did not have a phone on the bus realized that the driver was having a medical emergency, had the wherewithal to get up, run to the front, stop the bus, save the driver, and probably save his friends and himself just by being aware because he was the only one not looking at his phone. That's right. And you know why I wanted to do the social media plan is because so many parents weighed in and said some things that just broke my heart. I wish I'd never given my child a phone. Oh my gosh, if I could turn back time. Oh, this was the worst thing that ever happened to my kids. Because I asked, when's the right time to get your kid a phone? And a lot of people weighed in with some really deep pain or at the very least reticence. And so I thought, you know what? We need to help prepare kids for social media, for getting their phone, especially for social media, because I think that's where so much the hurt comes from. FOMO, social comparison, anxiety. There's just so many things that can happen and can make us feel bad about ourselves and cause us not to be successful in our lives. Mm -hmm. And so we've created the Family Social Media Success Plan. It's awesome. And it's like, you know, you wouldn't give your child the key to your car and say, uh, yeah, go figure that out. It's almost like that with social media, isn't it? Exactly. And the research is, is pretty clear. No, it's very clear. This is just like sort of guardrails. Being prepared, and that's what this Family Social Media Plan will help you with. It's so great. I love how it came out because we inform We bring you up to date on the latest research, the latest laws about social media. And then we talk to you about maybe some of the things that you've never heard of. And we educate you on the glossary of social media. And then the best part is it's interactive. So you work with your kids no matter how old they are. If they're seven years old, eight years old, because you know, so many of those kids will have an account 
and you might not even know they have an account. So it gives you the opportunity to start talking to them about it and you scroll together. And even if your child's 16, it's not too late to talk about feelings, to talk about the right way to show up on social media. And then the best part is when it's all finished, you've written it down and you put it up and it stays in the forefront of your mind. I think it's really cool what you're saying is that you put it up in front of everybody in the family and everybody lives by those rules, not just the kids. It's everybody's plan. It's the whole family plan. Yeah. And I don't think of it as rules. I think of it as opportunity. It's a plan for success. Mm-hmm. It's like when when I manifested you. That's right. <laughs> so when I was much younger, we've been married a long time. I met someone who had had an incredible experience, and she had said, "You know, I put my goals up in the refrigerator." And she said, "Is there anything you want?" And I said, "Well, I'm looking for my husband." <laughs> I was all of 19, and so anyway, she said, "Well, put that list up on the refrigerator. Put everything that you see in your future with the man of your dreams." And and I did. And guess what? What? <laughs> Come on, keep going. Okay, so I, like our, go- I like where this is going. It's second date. And I knew immediately, the first date, I knew, oh my gosh, it's my list. <laughs> and so anyway, you knocked on the door and I was upstairs. And so you came in and I came downstairs. And who was staring at the refrigerator reading my list out loud? Me. And I pulled it off the refrigerator and I threw it away and I never saw it again because I was so embarrassed. But guess what? Seeing something and being reminded of what you want and the reason why is... Brings it to you. Right. Is one of the keys to success. Now, I would like to talk more about me because <laughs> this is a good moment for me. But I do want to also mention the fact oh, that, you. you know, you give parents the opportunity to normalize the ability to oversee, to help, because right to now- To participate, to be a part of it. I yep. feel that some parents feel like it's it's not even their purview. They, they, oh, they can't look at that account. They can't talk about that. But you know what you can? It's your kids. And this helps you do it in a really nice, natural way. So it doesn't seem like anything, but being part of their life yeah. in a super good way. Like when, when my dad took me out for a ride in the car and showed me how to use the clutch. Right. <laughs> that still didn't really stick, no, did it? it that didn't really work. That he tried, but he did, tried. Not, did not really work. <laughs> so the Family Social Media Success Plan, how can our listeners get a hold of one? Well, depending on when they're listening to this, it's either on pre-order or you can get it tomorrow. Come to techwellness.com. We'll also provide a link below in the show notes. But if you visit techwellness.com and you put in Family Social Media Plan, up it will pop. Order yours now. It's good. No, uh, actually, Signal is, is a very well put together app because of the way it's encrypted. Some of the guys that put it together, they designed some other apps that were very similar for different applications. And it's it's a very good secure app. People can feel very comfortable about using it. The other thing I suggest people have is called a VPN on their phone, and that's a virtual private network. The services for a VPN are very inexpensive. It's a few dollars a month. Anytime you send an email, you can select what country you want it to come from. If I wanted to send you an email from Egypt, I could just click on it and the routing information, the IP address will come from Egypt. The reason these are good, especially in an airport or any public place, you always want to be sending your data through a virtual private network because it's encrypted And even if you're using a house Wi-Fi at a coffee shop, uh, your data is going through various layers of protection that really make it darn close to impossible to get into your phone. 
especially, like you say, at airports and coffee shops, a VPN service is imperative to have. Do you recommend one? Is there a particular one that you recommend? No, I've got a few that we use, and they're the most common ones. Okay. Now they're... We'll put them up on the site. There's some really good ones out there. What you want to look through is what their bandwidth, or their throughput is. In other words, I've got about 150 countries or so on my phone that I can send messages through. Do you need more than that? No. And what it does is it bounces the signals through a bunch of servers. You want to make sure that it's a good quality VPN. It'll be one of the name brand ones. And it's a fairly secure way to communicate. Is it completely secure? No. For the most part, for the average everyday person, a VPN is a great thing to have to keep from your uh, banking passwords, anything like that, intercepted in an airport or in a ball game, whatever. Perfect. Thanks, Brian. That's great, great advice. I'm wondering, what do you think about the reputation protection services and the LifeLocks? Do, do you think they work? Do you think we should all have something like that? I remember when LifeLock first came out, I believe it was the CEO, but his social security number on the side of a truck. And of course, he got hacked immediately. Thinking that you are secure is a misnomer. There is no such thing anymore. For every action that security companies do, there's a a reaction. So it's just how long does it take the hackers to catch up? It's sport, basically. Same with those password protectors. So same thing. A password protector is better than not having one. The worst thing you want to do is use the same password on every six. It's too easy to crack. One of the easiest ways, people go, how did people get into my account. The way they got into your account is they didn't hack your phone. What they did is they found out a little bit about you. They went to Facebook and they found out what high school you went to. They found out your favorite band. Then they call the customer support and say, I can't get into my banking account. And for the most part, people, for example, on their safety passwords will put in their high school their favorite band, the name of their first dog. This is all stuff that's easy to find out on Facebook. Very often people call and pretend to be the person saying, I locked myself out of my account. They'll go, What's your, what high school did you go to? And you'll name it. I always recommend that people give wrong answers to security questions that they can remember. I used to try to do that. I used to give one word for all of them that, yeah. that had nothing to do with anything. And they don't accept that anymore. Now you have to really think about those made up answers. Anything that you can do on your own, these services are really limited. At one point, they were reasonable what they could do, especially with credit card fraud. Because of legislative changes, they're no longer as effective as they were perhaps six years ago. My thought is just common sense, very long passwords. And speaking of common sense, and I think I know the answer, but what's your perspective on Alexa, Google Home, HomePod? Do you have one? No. Are they dangerous? I think they're hilarious. It's just inviting people to spy on you. It's They're so easy to hack. I can see where they're helpful for some an elderly person needing to turn on lights or stuff. We have a situation like that in our family, and it's great. However, they're not discussing work things. Uh, I would never have one in a workplace or in a, in a private conversation area. They're too easy. You've got seven microphones on one of those things, and you've got a Wi-Fi or Bluetooth signal that's easy to hack. It's like sticking a microphone in your workplace or your home. And, I, you know, some people might disagree, but they're fairly easy to get through if you're, if you're a tech Yeah, thanks for that information. And are there any other devices that we should be suspicious of or that we should be extra careful around? Anything that just might even have a Bluetooth, like a Bluetooth speaker? That's a really good question that most people don't ask. Here's a a great example. It's called the Internet of Things. People want to have everything. Uh, For example, my Jura coffee maker, it'll grind the espresso and stuff via my iPhone. Mm. The problem is there was a hack 
I'm going to say six months ago, where they shut down a good piece of the East Coast internet. They shut down a lot of America's infrastructure. They didn't use computers. They used people's refrigerators. Sure. They sure. used all these remote little things to basically harness. You mean because the Bluetooth went to the Wi-Fi? How, how did that happen? Okay. Rather than doing the usual denial of service attack by using computers, an experiment, but they used anything that wasn't a computer, basically, harness that horsepower to just jam up frequencies and signals. Any of that stuff, it, it can't be done by one person, but if you've got 20 or so or 40 or so people teaming up and they do a, a joint attack, you can really do a lot. I always said, look, a bomb will destroy a city. A computer will take down a country. Uh, and people have to be very cognizant of what's going on in the airwaves these days. There's a lot of federal agencies out there doing a great job just trying to quell the insanity that's out there. So am I better off in my low-tech home if I actually don't have a lot of Bluetooth items? Am I safer? Oh, much. Yes. Wow. Or many even a big attack? It's all relative. Is somebody going to come up to your house and go, I'm going to attack the internet by using Hal's at Nest system? No. We don't have one. No. I'm just saying, it is a conglomeration of things. The less things you have sharing data, the safer you're going to be. And the fact that you're selling the Faraday bag on, on your site, I'm surprised that you even know what, what is. Most people don't. And they're so invaluable to have. You need these for your own protection. If you're going into a movie theater and stuff like that, people can hack into your phone so easily. I can tell you ways offline that data is gathered from cell phones by intelligence agencies just by walking by. If you're into a search situation, you want to have your phone in a Faraday bag so your data just can't be harvested as you're walking by a place. And the same, but I, at my office, everyone gets a Faraday bag and places their phone in the Faraday bag while they're at work. That's great. They can go outside and use their phone. And it's just for me because I can't control their apps. I can't control their phone, nor do I want to. Yep. But I can make sure that their phone isn't surreptitiously recording something that's important at work. And people might think that's overkill. It's not. It is so simple to get into somebody's computer and, and put in a key logger or somebody's phone and monitor everything they're doing. We have these cases all the time, especially, in, I, I hate to say it, but especially in divorce cases. People, we handle everything from homicide to you name it, but divorce cases are about as bad as it gets. People will do anything, especially if there's a large amount of money involved. So the kind of tech gadgets that they're pulling out of their pockets these days, they're getting into people's home surveillance systems, all sorts of things, especially through the internet, logging into somebody's surveillance system. I had to do a homicide job in another state where I needed to get into system. And we were able to go back, even though the system had been destroyed, I was able to get the iCloud account of the homicide actually happening. It was something that was forwarded up to a cloud. But again, now, Think about it this, if you're just walking around your house and you've got a surveillance system constantly running, it's feeding into the iCloud account, there is no cloud account that isn't hackable. Somebody can find an easy way into that. If you're walking around doing something, it could be easily hacked by somebody. You have to be very careful to control your data. Think of your data as your most important asset of privacy. So you're definitely going to want to have every way you can to protect it. iCloud storage and stuff, I'm not a big fan of any of that. We use very large servers and we have them in different places. Your own servers that you own. Yes. And we have them okay. in different places just in case something happens to one set. Now, I know that's unique because of yeah, the type of business not... we're at. But uh, if you're going to put all your stuff in an iCloud and somebody says it's unhackable, that's the first thing you can that a hacker wants to hear. Really? Unhackable? That sounds like fun. Let's get a group of guys together mm -hmm. and get a bunch of energy drinks and break into this thing. You know, the stuff that you deal with, like you said, the cesspool of the soul, 
but you've got such a great sense of humor. How are you able to, you haven't really even told us the just the grime that you have to deal with on a daily basis, but obviously you do. But how do you keep your sense of humor? How do you keep perspective on all this? My, my parents used to say, whenever I complained about anything, it always stuck with me. My mom would put her hand to her ear and she goes, do you hear that? And I'm like, what? She goes, that's the sound of no bombs dropping. I love your mom. They grew up in right, Europe during World War II. So anything after that became less. The bright side. Uh, well, I worked in the helicopter. We did a lot of first response to plane crashes and to whatever. You have to distance yourself from it. You have to separate yourself from it. And uh, that is you have to compartmentalize the stuff. I do think one of my main things, and I would say that to our crew here, is if we're not having fun, we're doing it wrong. The only thing is it does become your seven-day-a-week life. My wife, the people I work with, this is all we do. It's rare that we get away and do anything else. But on the other hand, it's what we love doing. We have a a seven-day-a-week work policy, but we don't call it work. There's nothing else I'd rather be doing. Well, it is fascinating. It's an amazing field. You are so prepared for it. Your life story has brought you to this perfect place to do this work. And I love how on usaforensic.com, you say that you're available seven days a week, so call anytime. I understand that one of the number one hacks is on your laptop webcam. I make these little stickers to put over. You can use tape. I really like my stickers because they say fun and happy reminders like make good choices or stealth. What else can we do about that other than covering the webcam? And is it true? Is it a number one hack? It's not a number one hack. The number one hack is key loggers. Now, what a key logger is, it can be downloaded in, in any sort of way. It's just a little app that anything you type is sent out to somewhere else. In other words, if you're on the internet and you're typing a letter, every keystroke you make is going to an external server. Totally creeps me out. How can I make sure I don't have one? I'm going to give you the name of two freeware pieces of software that are great. One is called Malwarebytes. I have it. And the other one is called Super Anti-Spyware. Okay. Yeah, I use Malwarebytes, so that's going to protect me. Now, I would say also, if you're using Malwarebytes, use the premium version and turn on a setting called Scan for Rootkits. It's worth it. Those are consumer level products. Mm -hmm. That's what we are. We're consumers. And they work almost as well as the very highest end stuff. Now, we have some more intense stuff, but for 99% of things that you're going to run across, those those two will will handle it. I really like the paid version of Malwarebytes. And we beta test everything. And I I am no way affiliated with them, but I really like the, their paid version. And okay, and I use it and I like it, but there's still nothing that can stop someone from hacking my webcam, right? That can just happen. It depends. Again, you're not exactly hacking the camera. The, the question is, are you hacking the outgoing stream or are you hacking the actual computer that it's on? I always just put stickers on every camera right. and I also put them over the microphones. Now you can also disable. I'm going to send you some. I'm gonna, I have them especially made. Sweet. I went out and, and found all the sizes and where all the microphone locations were on yeah. all the most popular laptops. Yeah. And so I have really nice, thick stickers that say cute things that go over all of the microphones. That's a great idea. We do it on everything. Any phone that comes in here, everything, the first thing after it's photographed and cataloged, uh, those things are, are marked off. Hey, wait a minute. Phones, I cannot cover the microphones on my iPhone. I think that it's somehow getting the uh, sound through the screen. 
No? No. <laughs> okay, I'm a little paranoid, huh? <laughs> yeah, no. There's only two ways to get sound really to an iPhone. One is going to be the microphone. The other one's going to be any kind of Bluetooth accessory that you're using like a headset, like a Plantronics or something like that headset. You know, you can't cover the microphone on that. There's That's where the Faraday bag comes in because if somebody's going to be recording something, it's going to be something to send out by a signal. If you have your phone in airplane mode and it's in a Faraday bag, it's about as good as it's going to get without being ridiculous. But what if your phone is just sitting out? It's not in the Faraday bag. You're using your phone. Can someone hack the mic or the uh, camera while your phone is being used? Yes. Again, it really, to get a good program on there, it requires access to the phone, though, because the App Store makes that kind of stuff. It's almost like a nanny cam type setup. Somebody would have to download onto your phone. Okay. Apple is cognizant or the other people are cognizant of that kind of stuff. If you have a jailbroken phone, which means a hacked phone, it's easier to do than to a factory iPhone. If your phone is just laying there on the table, is it susceptible that, to that kind of tomfoolery? Yes, it is. Is it hard to do? Much harder than they make it look on TV. There is the CSI factor where people say they're using all these extreme whiz-bang gadgets on your phone. It's not really that much. It's just common errors that people do. For example, sloppy passwords or letting somebody see them enter a phone code or, or using a non-protected signal in a coffee shop, a non-VPN signal. That's how your data gets. Or even allowing an app access by virtue of their privacy policy and enabling that app. And that's a very good point. Anytime you download an app, go in and shut off the camera and microphone settings unless you really need it. And if you're not using it, like Skype, for example, when you called me here, I had mine off. I basically had to turn on the, the mic and the camera again. Turn off, go into your app settings, and just turn off anything, access to, uh, same thing with your Windows PC or whatever, shut off all the access. Go into privacy settings and shut every single privacy setting down. There's nothing there worth keeping on in the privacy settings of Windows 10. Not a thing. Just go through it. There's tons of stuff that's getting away your day-to-day -day workings. Great, great. And that brings me day-to-day -day email. Do you recommend a specific email program that values your privacy? And did you see my story on Google Vault? Did you happen to watch that? I didn't. I did not. Okay. I'll check well, it out, though. Well, basically, you already know this. I discovered that every word that someone types on Gmail is saved to their servers, even if they delete those words. Sure. I will tell you this also. For example, let's say you deleted your Facebook account two years ago and I needed completely deleted it and I needed to get a hold of it for a legal case. I could. And that makes sense to me. But the whole the thing that really blew me away was signing up for Google Vault and then realizing that the giraffes of my employees' emails had been saved, words that they actually deleted within seconds of creating those words right. stayed on the server. And I don't think people realize that. And I think, is that specific to all email programs or just to Gmail? We use private servers. It's funny because I do use one old generic email that I think is funny just because it's an old AOL account. It's kind of a text laugh to send something over AOL because it's funny, but you don't use it for anything else. We use private email servers. We basically built them ourselves. Most people can't go through that. As far as email, you'll hear that various companies get that are email handlers get broken into as far as their data. 
that's going to happen. So sure. keeping your stuff on a private server is, is pretty much the way to go. The other thing is people don't realize when you upload a picture to Facebook or whatever, they own it. They can do with it what they want. Same with all these companies. They own that photo. They can use it in advertising and not pay you. Your data, is it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to whatever server you uploaded it to. I understand. Should small businesses have their own email servers? Oh, absolutely. They're very easy to set up. It's worth a few thousand bucks to get a good server, especially if you're dealing with any kind of trade secret or trade craft or any kind of proprietary information. Of course, you should have your own servers. But once it goes out to the Gmail universe, even if somebody that you're communicating with, like you, if you communicate to me on Gmail, they have it, even if your server is encrypted. That's true. That's why you can use peer-to-peer emails like Pronto Mail or something like that's encrypted. That you want to remain private. Yes. There are apps like that. You can also encrypt any emails. We do that a lot with cases. The emails are encrypted and then we call them with the decryption key. So we don't send, obviously, the, the key to follow up email. So you would send an encrypted email that can only be unlocked with a certain password. And Not so easy for day-to-day communication with your mom. No. And again, for day-to-day, 99% of the people don't need to worry about it. It's not like there's constant surveillance of everybody. I mean, that on an individual level, there is constant surveillance through NSA and stuff, but they're not looking at everybody's stuff. They're looking for keywords. Okay, so for all the regular people, before we go here, Brian, uh, can you recap the top tips that we should be using on a day-to-day basis to protect ourselves? On a day-to-day basis, Windows go through on the privacy settings and turn off every single thing that shares data. You just go to privacy, just click on privacy under settings, and there's lots of stuff all the way down to Xbox settings to send your data out. Also on cell phones, use a VPN, uh, which is a virtual private network. They're very inexpensive, great way to keep your data secure. Uh, Go into your settings, turn off all your sharing info on each individual app. Every app wants your data. Turn off camera and microphone access to every app. It's just simple things. Wow, that's all excellent advice. Thank you, Brian. Once again, our guest today, Brian Neumeister, head of USA Forensic. If you wanna learn more, if you wanna hunt somebody down, head over to usaforensic.com. The site says, open seven days a week. That's awesome. Of course, We've got more great information like this on Tech Wellness too. In fact, what I'm going to do is put all of the resources and advice from today's episode on the site. Visit techwellness.com, click on privacy. I'm also gonna give you a link to this great video, how to disable your microphone on your computer. And actually, I know it's pretty cool because Dr. Mercola recently put this video on his site for this special cybersecurity post he was doing. Thanks so much for joining us on today's show. I hope you loved it. If you do like what you've heard, leave us a review and subscribe to the show. For more tools and information to help you achieve mindful living in a digital world and navigate those tech toxins, follow Tech Wellness on all the usual social media channels and head over to techwellness.com for resources, videos, solutions, and so much more. I'm August Bryce. Thank you for joining us. Until next time, be well.